This breakfast seminar forms part of a larger international conference on drones in civilian airspaces, security, regulation and imagination, which was kicked off uh, yesterday afternoon and ends later today. Recently, numerous incidents involving drones have made headlines in Norway, making the international conference and this breakfast seminar topical than what my colleagues probably anticipated when they started to plan this event. Over the last years, Prius researchers under the leadership of Bruno Oliveira Martins have engaged with multiple national and international stakeholders involved in the processes of regulating civilian drones and highlighting both security vulnerabilities and risks for society. I would like to highlight in particular two studies requested by the European Commission in which Bruno and his colleagues have provided input to two different EU initiatives. First, the Handbook for Metropolitan Preparedness for Drone Threats, and secondly, the revised European Drone Strategy that will be launched in Brussels next week. And we are really curious to see the final version of this important framework document and the extent to which the input from PRIO has made any impact at all. Now, in addition to being the deputy director here at PRIO, I'm also heading the PRIO Center on Gender, Peace and Security and issues of gender balance, inclusion and representation more broadly, as well as inclusion of gender perspectives in research are important to us as, at PRIO. And we are doing increasingly well. The two-day conference that this breakfast seminar is part of is one example. Bruno has gathered a group of leading scholars from around the world, including a high number of female researchers working on issues of technology and security. And some of them are in this room uh, here today. But the challenges of gender balance, representation and inclusive perspectives remain, not only in research, but maybe particularly so in the industrial sector and in the bureaucracies dealing with issues of technology, security and defense. And this has implications for how technologies are regulated, which issues get visibility, and which get more neglected. Despite us not having a su succeeded in finding an available female drone expert for today's panel, which is an all-male panel, I would just like to add that we are very conscious to include women in these discussions. So with these words of welcome, it is a pleasure for me to give the floor to my colleague Bruno, who will chair the seminar and also introduce our distinguished, uh, distinguished panelists, representing some of the key stakeholders in Norway on the issue of civilian drones. So please, Bruno, the floor is yours, and I believe this one goes to you. Okay, thanks uh, very much, uh, Tonon. Uh, thanks very much to everyone in the audience, all, all the participants, uh, all the people that came from uh, uh, different place, places around the world, different places around Norway to participate in this two-day conference. Um, I will not uh, spend a lot of time giving a broader introduction on the topic. Uh, that has already happened yesterday. We will continue having the discussions afterwards, after the, the, the breakfast seminar. So you are all warmly invited to remain in the room, if you wish so, uh, after this breakfast seminar. But what brings many of you here today is precisely the focus that we now have on the situation in Norway. Um, and as we talked uh, extensively about yesterday, uh, we believe that it is important that different people participate in the discussions about 
understanding the role of technology in society, understanding the, the possibilities and the opportunities that drone technology bring, but also the, the risks and, and the vulnerabilities that they expose. And so, uh, in, over the last two, three months, there has been an increasing presence of uh, drone-related issues uh, on the news. And exactly as Turun mentioned, uh, this became, for, for us who were organizing the, this two-day international conference, it became increasingly cl clear that it would be very important to actually bring people together that are working on the issue in the real world uh, in Norway, not just from, you know, from an academic uh, perspective, to, for all of us to have a dialogue and to understand where we are, uh, what are the opportunities ahead of us, and also what are the risks associated. Um, it has been uh, highly exciting to, to organize this, this uh, panel, and I'm extremely happy with, uh, with the representation that we got from, in terms of government uh, agencies, the Ministry of, of Transport. And so I think that we have uh, uh, an extremely highly qualified uh, group of speakers today that I believe are really the key people to discuss the issue in Norway. So thank you all for, for accepting to come. Uh, the way that we have organized this, and this was uh, discussed with speakers, is that each of the speakers will have up to 10 minutes to have uh, an initial presentation from, the, from their own perspective and from the perspective that the organization that they, that they uh, are a part of. Um, uh, uh, after that, we will, we will sit and then we will have, I will ask uh, a question to, to each of the presenters and then if there's still some time left, we will open up for, for discussion in the room. If we have to, to close because we are done with time, then you can always try your luck and, uh, and the chat informally afterwards during, during coffee. Um, on the program, we have first uh, uh, Jakob Bieland, who is uh, State Secretary at the Ministry of Transport. Welcome. He will give uh, the first uh, address. Then we have uh, Mats Jertsen from Avinur, one of the, 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 the people that work at Avinur on the issue of, of uh, drones. Then we will have Eivind uh, Raknes from uh, Luftfahrtelsine, the Civil Aviation Authority Norway, that has been working on these issues from for many years, not only in, in, in the Norwegian reality, but also in connection to uh, European and international uh, organizations. We will have uh, Anders Martinsen, who is the, the leader of UAS Norway, that represents the, the, the industry, an important perspective to have always. Uh, and then finally, we will have uh, Christian Brunsvig, who is a researcher at uh, FFI, the Norwegian Defense Research uh, Establishment. So this is the program that we have uh, for today. I will give the floor to you, uh, State Secretary, and, uh, and then I will ask you a question afterwards. <laughs> thank you. Um, and first of all, thank you for the invitation to this seminar uh, and also this uh, opportunity to discuss some topics related to the uh, government's policies on drones, both the useful applications uh, and also how we handle unlawful use of drones. And as was stated, in, the, in light of the recent events here in Norway, where there has been a lot of uh, attention and discussion as to the possible harm drone, drones can cause, I would like to start off by stating that drones are a legal, 
useful and increasingly important tool in solving an ever-growing array of tasks, both public and commercial. Norway implemented a fairly liberal national regulation on use of drones in 2016 and also announced a national drone strategy in 2018, which signaled a clear intention at government level to facilitate the development of the use of drones to the benefit of Norwegian society. And therefore, I feel it is safe to say that Norway has long been at the forefront internationally when it comes to the adoption of drone technology. And I believe one of the driving factors uh, behind this success has been the good cooperation between a forward-leaning industry and air navigation service provider, uh, which is Avinor, coupled with a competent civil aviation authority, which ha has also had capacity to provide guidance on regulatory issues. <clears throat> the common goal of uh, impeccable safety standards and a high degree of trust between industry and authorities is crucial for the continued success and further adoption and development of drone technology in Norway. Norway is today the sixth largest commercial market in Europe uh, for drone-based services. And our drone uh, operators are competing and securing large contracts on the European internal market. Norway is also probably one of the, most, of the countries most dependent on air transport in Europe. Due to distance, topography and a sparse population in most parts of the country, rail and road transport are quite often not realistic or satisfactory alternatives to air transport. Drone technology will open new possibilities in last mile delivery operations and maybe in time passenger transport as well. We are also seeing the increased adoption in offshore operations where the industry has shown, willingness, uh, shown a willingness to try out new technology which, which is crucial for, for pushing innovative industries forward and increase adoption of sustainable solutions like drone technology. <clears throat> With Norway implementing the common European regulation on the use of drones on January 1st, 2021, we are now aligned with the EU as regards regulation of the vast majority of drone operations. With all this in mind, the Norwegian government intends to support a continued sustainable development of the use of drones to the benefit of Norwegian society, while also maintaining national security considerations. The Ministry of Transport are currently in the finishing stages of our work on a white paper to the Parliament with a comprehensive strategy on civil aviation. This strategy will certainly touch on the topics of opportunities, threats and vulnerabilities related to the use of drones in Norway. In terms of opportunities, we see that access to airspace where advanced drone operations can take place safely and efficiently is key to ensuring the further develop development of the drone sector and to maintain Norway's position as a leading nation in this field. The Norwegian government intends to facilitate drones' access to airspace, while the drone industry and their customers must be prepared to con contribute towards identifying and financing solutions which can make this a reality, including 
the introduction of unmanned traffic management and a use-based concept. Um, as you are all aware, the use of drone technology promises significant benefits in solving new and existing tasks and societal needs. On the topic of environmental sustainability and new, new technology in aviation, we expect the incre increasing adoption of drones in Norway will contribute towards enhancing safety and efficiency, and at the same time contribute towards lowering CO2 emissions. In our strategy, we will highlight that the Civil Aviation Authority and Avinor should continue to prioritize supporting the drone industry in making advanced drone operations possible. As regards to threats, we of course need to address the harmful use of drones. In, in order to ensure the public's continued confidence and support, it is imperative that the future development of the drone sector goes hand in hand with maintaining both aviation safety and national security. <clears throat> law, law enforcement agencies cannot realistically be expected to be able to intervene against all instances of unlawful use of drones. At the same time, only law enforcement, i.e. the police, are equipped with the legal basis necessary to deploy drone countermeasures. To this effect, the government has tasked the ministries of justice, defense and transport with establishing a working party which will assess how the state can contribute to, to preventing drone use in restricted areas and combating crime related to the use of drones. Assessing whether drone countermeasures could be deployed by airport operators and owners of critical infrastructure will be a relevant topic in that regard. In light of the recent focus on the unlawful use of drones, we are also employing measures available under the current regulatory framework. After receiving applications from Equinor and conducting a public hearing, the Civil Aviation Authority has implemented permanent restricted areas of a certain land-based installments. And with that, uh, I will conclude this introduction. Unfortunately, I will not be able to attend the whole seminar, um, but uh, I will again thank you for the invitation and I wish you fruitful discussions during the rest of the day. Thank you. If I may take the opportunity that you are here, <laughs> I would like to, uh, to ask if you could say a little bit more, you know, to the extent is, uh, that is possible about this, the white paper that uh, the ministry has been uh, working on. There is a lot of um, there is a lot of uh, regulatory developments also in the European context, and that often translates also to the way that things are dealt with uh, here in Norway. So I wanted to hear first if you could say a little bit more about about the white paper, and also in more general terms uh, how how much uh, things have changed over the last months precisely because of the situation of the of the drone sightings etc so this uh, to what to what extent has this risen in the political agenda you talked about this uh, working party that will be created with the ministry of defense justice and transport is this something that has been created just now in its response to what we've seen in recent weeks so just uh, if you could say a little bit more about uh, what's happening now. 
Um, first, I, I would like to answer the last, your last part of the real, really two questions. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, uh, the the task force is put uh, is set put together uh, uh, due to the events the last couple of months. We have also had uh, an evaluation whether we should um, introduce new regulations or bans in in Norway, and we have. Uh, conclude that we won't uh, introduce new regulations or bans at this moment. Uh, because uh, there will always be a balance between, the, as I said, all the useful applications and uh, unlawful applications. And um, our conclusion is that uh, you know, most of the um, unlawful use is, is, is not intended harm, harmful. Uh, use of drones, uh, and uh, to impose uh, new bans on an, an industry which has so many positive effects uh, was not what we concluded. But we will assess how we can introduce new uh, countermeasures, uh, which will be then the, 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 the work of this task force with both representatives from the uh, transport, the the defense and the justice departments. Uh, regarding the white paper, uh, this is a white paper that will cover the entire aviation sector. It will be based on sustainable uh, uh, aviation, both geographically, economically, uh, on, on the uh, society, societal uh, um, uh, sustainability, um, and also econ economically uh, sustainable aviation. But drones will be a a big part of this uh, white paper as well. Uh, regarding uh, regulations, of course, we um, we very much are aligning with the EU regulations, but we also have some um, uh, some specific. Uh, uh, we also have uh, some. Um, how do, I, I'm searching for the English word now. <laughs> We also need to have some uh, some specific measures uh, for Norway and our uh, our needs. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank okay. You. Thank you. Um. Okay. Now I would like to ask, please, uh, Mats Jertsen from uh, Avinor. Uh, Avinor is the it's the company that runs uh, the airports in Norway, um, that has also have you know becoming an, an extremely relevant actor discussing the issues of uh, of drones in the airspace for obvious reasons. Mats, I would love to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation to be here. Uh, Avinor is uh, then the Norwegian airport operator. We operate 43 airports in Norway and also the air navigation service provider in Norwegian airspace. So we are quite involved in everything with drones, so we have then created our own drone program in Avinor. Here we work on four different projects to be an active contributor to the next chapter in aviation. The first one, which was already mentioned, is the unmanned traffic management, UTM, where we would like to integrate the drones into the airspace. And we also now work on the counter US part, the detection of the unauthorized drones, which will be most of this presentation. And we also work with the infrastructure part. How can we facilitate the next types of drones, the passenger drones, cargo drones that will come? How can we use the other airports? Do we need to build the infrastructure outside airports? So the more futuristic part of the industry. 
And we also see the good need to use drones, so we also have a project to see how we can use drones at our airports to make more efficient or better inspections at our airports. Uh, we'd like to start to talk about the UTM, unmanned traffic management, or now we call it uncrewed traffic management, and that's the handling of the authorized drones. Uh, where basically you can register your flight and get an authorization to fly in the airspace. We have implemented it in uh, uh, close to 17 airports in Norway and uh, make it easier for the drone operators to get an uh, authorization to fly legally and make it easier for our air traffic controllers to handle the traffic. We are one of the first in Europe to implement this system and we'd like to expand it further into the airspace. We see an increasing use of it. Uh, since last year, we have 100% increase in the use of the system. What we see is that many use the system even outside our airports, where they don't need to register, but they do it to inform the rest of the society that we are flying a drone. Then other drone operators or everyone can go into the application and see where the drone is operating. I'll come back to that, for that, that might be a good solution for the future handling of drones. But then, as been mentioned the last couple of months, unauthorized drones has been an issue in Norway and then for us as an airport operator. We have had several closure of airports and that gets a lot of attention in the media and the news. And we are now working closely how to solve this for the future. We already had implemented a detection system at Oslo Airport, which we implemented in February this year. And it showed that we had around 50 unauthorized drones every month close to Oslo Airport. None that had a safety effect on the traffic, but there were 50 drones that needed an authorization that didn't have it. And now we are taking this system and implementing it also in additional airports in Norway. We started that work actually before uh, the events the last couple of months, but now we are intensifying it and we'll implement uh, over the next couple of months. We are not in a position to say what kind of system or which airports, but it will be multiple airports that get this system now. Because unauthorized drones can cause major consequences at our airports. The worst case scenario is of course a collision between a drone and the crewed aviation, but also a closure of the airports has a lot of um, uh, implications, especially economical. Even a close, uh, small closure is uh, quite costly for the airlines, for the passengers. You start to divert the, um, the planes that are going to Oslo, and they may then land at uh, Sandefjord, and you arrange buses and hotels and so on, and the cost is quite high. So what uh, Avinor does now is uh, we take an active role in protecting our airports. We're detecting then at Oslo Airport. Uh, we are increasing to um, uh, additional airports. We are making it easy to apply for to fly legal via the UTM system. And the next step will be to integrate the UTM system with the detection system to get a complete overview of the airspace. And we have the, defined that we have three categories of unlawful flying with drones. We have the careless, uh, and we have the clueless and the criminals. And we think that it's the clueless that is the biggest safety factor, the ones that doesn't know uh, the rules and regulations. So we are using quite a lot of time to public awareness campaigns, make it easy to find the rules. We are close cooperations with the CEA on this. And also through our UTM system, it's quite easy to see 
what the rules is where we operate. And we think that might be one of the easiest way to get the unlawful drones, number of drones done, because uh, it's quite hard to find the rules today. You need to use uh, many sources to find uh, everything. And we, as an, uh, both as an ANSP, an navigation service provider, and airport owner, analyzes every incident with drones, see what can we learn and what can we do better in the future. So what we think is one of the solutions going forward is uh, the uh, integrated UTM and detection uh, systems. Then we get a total airspace control. We get a complete overview of drones in the airspace. If everyone registered they're going to fly, even if it's close to an airport, in uncontrolled airspace, um, then we can see, and it's linked to some sort of registry, we can see who is legal and who is not legal to fly. That will also, we think, make the work for the police much easier than today, where they get a lot of phones uh, regarding authorized drones. So it will give the authority control and overview and will enhance the safety for the manned aviation. <coughs> to sum up a little bit of the next steps, we think maybe the one of the most important thing is the cooperation between all parties, between uh, the Ministry of Transport, Avinor, the CEA, the police, and also the private sector to see how this is best dissolved. We need a detection system of unauthorized drones. But uh, what we fear is that uh, we will do something, then maybe an oil and gas company do something, the police do something. We also need to coordinate what we are doing on this and share knowledge, because this is a new topic. There are a lot of suppliers. We know that many of the system doesn't work very good, and some are better, and we need to learn from each other. And we have the legal aspect of this. Uh, as was mentioned, can, can an airport operator take down a drone? Uh, what, is, uh, what can we do there? And public awareness. We do something and we know that other actors do something. This should be coordinated to do some larger campaigns to get the public to know the rules about flying drones and also to show all the good things we can do with a drone. And then to make it easier to fly legal. And that is uh, what we are doing with the UTM system. Short overview for Avinor. Thanks very much. So, so what, what you can see now, what we will do now is that we'll have the four presentations in a row, and then after that, I'll, we'll have the, the, the questions, okay? Uh, so now, uh, then would be Ivin uh, Rachnes, that will uh, present us uh, some of the work that uh, the Civil Aviation Authority in Norway uh, does. Yes. Good morning. Um, my name is, as Bruno said, Eivind Rocknes, and I represent the Norwegian Civil Aviation Authority today. So um, you've had two great presentations. I appreciate uh, um, Mr. State Secretary's nice words. And um, it's both a blessing and a curse that we agree on a lot of things. It's a curse because it's boring for you hearing the same message over and over again. But of course, it's a blessing for us working and hopefully also the operators and, and uh, the public. So um, a lot of good things have been said already, but I'll, um, uh, I've been asked to present our perspective on today's topic. I'll do my best not to waste your next uh, nine minutes and 30 seconds. Um, <clears throat> so let's start with, um, uh, with uh, a disclaimer. Aviation is full of disclaimers, and I'll do my best to maintain this reputation today. Here you see how CAA is organized, and my position in this puzzle is in the professional competence department and in the section handling aerodromes and ANS. My portfolio includes airspace issues, 
and I'm one of the case handlers in this domain. So um, I'm not able to pr provide in-depth assessments uh, on the strategic, legal, uh, airworthiness or operational sides of today's topic, but uh, I believe that airspace is a small but important part of the challenge we're discussing um, the integration of drones. So I'll do my best to give you my take on today's topic then. So let's start with some key figures. Mats mentioned some of it. Um, these are figures important to us. And I think um, um, Anders yesterday had an update on the number of drones and drone operators. Of course, it's, this is not a static picture. It's evolving all the time. And we're glad it is. The map on the right shows you how the 56 airports and one out of 46 heliports are distributed across Norway. In addition, there are more than 100 heli decks all across our long and narrow country. Our state secretary uh, pointed out how important aviation is to Norway. And here we could say, see uh, some of it, uh, and, or, or the reason why. Um, let us also note that there are more registered drone operators in Norway than there are commercial and private pilot licenses issued put together. So you can probably see some opportunities, threats, and vulnerabilities based on these numbers alone. <coughs> CA's mission is, as I mentioned yesterday, to be an active instigator for safe, socially beneficial and sustainable aviation. This is our everyday focus and our performance should reflect this. This is why I found it interesting to try to place uh, today's topic with opportunities, threats and uh, vulnerabilities um, and try to sort them in, in, in together with these goals. So let's start by identifying some opportunities. <clears throat> Again, I'm not claiming I will cover all of them, um, but I believe that due to weights lower than those of conventional aircraft and often environmentally friendly propulsion systems, it can be argued that drones give us a green alternative and green solutions. Drones are suitable tools in um, many high-risk um, environments, like flying low altitudes, inspecting power lines, flame towers and other critical infrastructure, and, um, but also when searching for people or animals. This is also relevant when flying in bad and rapidly shifting weather conditions, as we have a lot of in Norway, and when missions are critical. Drones can also be used for tasks aviation has not been able to contribute in, like for example, inspection, uh, inspecting buildings, replacing the need for scaffolding and professionals climbing high structures. These applications can re represent reduced cost and lower risk uh, compared to conventional alternatives. And the drone technology is affordable and generally have a better availability than compared to manned aviation. So in conclusion, all of these factors result in the creation of new jobs and uh, a new market. I know it's a market here now, but it's, it's in, in aviation it's fairly new. I hope that it's possible to see some links already to, to our mission and our main goals. But unfortunately, the introduction of drones also represents some threats to society and to the aviation. First of all, it's easier for pilots to hide when they can stand on the ground relatively far from the aircraft he or she is operating. This is why drones are harder to stop as they can be launched from practically anywhere and um, close to where they want to go for some reason. 
So drones are therefore a suitable tool also for illegal activities, like sabotage, intelligence gathering, supporting other kinds of criminal activities, like circling near airports or heliports, creating insecurity and stress. Recent and ongoing events in a different part of Europe has demonstrated how easy even the simplest of drones can be converted into weapons. And for operators that have illegal intentions, it can be argued that the usage and availability of drones contributes so that the benefit of the operation outweighs the risk of getting caught or even spotted. And the fact that many drone operators are new entrants in the aviation industry, lacking the necessary knowledge to fully understand the risk they impose in the whole picture, might also be a threat. So, trying to identify some important vulnerabilities. The first that comes to mind is the lack of international rules and regulations. The European Union has, as we've discussed already, finally published a framework of regulations that aim to standardize the way we handle drones in Europe. <laughs> but we do not have an overarching global regulation that can provide strategic direction for drone manufacturers globally that want to develop drones able to integrate seamlessly into aviation yet. The conventional aviation has old technology compared to its new drone counterpart. By this I mean that there is a lack of compatibility in systems that comply with certification standards that can be shared between the old and the new aviators. In addition, and as a result of this, the introduction of drones represent operational challenges when addressing how pilots should communicate, navigate and become visible to service providers and other airspace users electronically. We are in the process of developing concepts and solutions uh, that Mats mentioned that will adapt aeronautical information publications and implement common information services that might have the potential to solve some of these problems and challenges. This approach would require adaptation by all the actors in the airspace. And the introduction of drones in the airspace represent what I call a challenge in widely different scales and sizes. Drones generally operate in scales of distances, heights and timelines that are very different from manned aviation today. With the exception of the largest drones sorting under the coming certified category, we should take into account that they are generally smaller than manned aircraft and it's difficult or even impossible to rely on, on existing safety nets. I found it very interesting hearing about automa automation yesterday because I think automation uh, or autonomy will help us. It's one of the safety nets we actually rely on. So um, I think that uh, your work is really important and I, will see, I, I hope to see some fruits uh, in actually uh, changing uh, how we deal with it and how we define it. <coughs> so, but the concept of see and avoid is a challenge because of the, the, the scale uh, issue and the, the challenge of scale and size. Uh, and that's uh, one of our safety nets in uncontrolled airspace, challenged by the sizes of drones, and also the ability for air traffic control to provide separation based on visual reference within controlled zones and in controlled airspace. So, coming back to our mission and how we should interpret the introduction of drones in relation to our main goal. What is the conclusion? Well, it's complicated. <laughs> it's not very 
research worthy, but uh, I'll, I'll do my best. Very, more research is needed. Yeah, okay. It's a standard answer. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's a problem of inviting someone without an education. But okay, I'll try to sort the different, go um, identify the opportunities, threats and vulnerabilities into table together with our main goal, as you see here. It's probably obvious, but most of the opportunities that drone, uh, drones bring has a positive impact on safety, they are beneficial to society, and they give us a sustainable alternative. However, due to lack of possibilities to fully integrate drones into the airspace, and the fact that the number of drone operators and drones are increasing rapidly, drones also represent an increased risk for flight safety if we do not handle capacity and impose necessary restrictions. So we need to address that uh, concern, because if not, this uh, thumbs down will bleed into the other two um, row uh, columns. <clears throat> I find it hard to argue in any other direction than that the threats and vulnerabilities that drones represent might be seen as counterproductive to our goals of providing safe, socially beneficial and sustainable aviation. Introducing counter UAS systems that enable a reliable approach to make non-cooperative aircraft visible to service providers and other airspace users might mitigate many of these possible negative effects. I think that we should also expect systems capable of forcing drones away or even neutralizing them in order to safeguard the achievement of our goals. We've heard about this yesterday also. So what should be our conclusion when all is said and done? Our state secretary is gone, so I can say this, even though my boss told me to, get, uh, to, to strike it out. I'm not arguing that we should get rid of drones, even though it would solve a lot of our problems and make my day a lot easier. Uh, no, but seriously, uh, we need um, to realize that drones have come to stay, even though it might be necessary to address capacity issues in the transition phases. We need to promote safe aircraft operations, even though it might result in unmanned air, um, aircraft operators replacing conventional market shares. It's a challenge, uh, you know, when, when you have these transition phases in that respect. And we need environmentally friendly solutions more than ever. And we also need cost-effective aviation, aviation that contributes to economic sustainability for society. This is why we must enhance the positive effects that drones in Norwegian airspace represent and take on the challenges that the threats and vulnerabilities sometimes bring along. The success of this plan needs to be a team effort. We need all bright minds available in this endeavor, both to identify challenges and even problems, but more importantly, to solve them. <clears throat> we need experts pointing to existing tools and approaches or developing new ones that would help us to take the future or to make the future available as soon as possible without sacrificing safety or security. In this process, authorities, service providers, operators and manufacturers on all levels need to work together. Thank you for your attention. Thanks so much, Ivan. Uh, this was uh, extremely interesting and I really appreciate the effort that you made in in connecting the regular work that you do with the specific issues that we are interested in in uh, this breakfast seminar. So thanks a lot. I have some, some questions for afterwards, but, uh, but thanks. Now, Anders, I would like to, to call you to give um, uh, your own input to, to the discussion. It's important to, to hear from the government, from government uh, agencies, to, um, to know how these things are being dealt with. 
but it's also very important to hear from uh, from the industry because uh, uh, there is so much uh, importance that is attached to the fact that the, the emergence of the drone sector created a new market and has, you know, uh, given a boost to industry and receives boosts from the industry. So, Anish, welcome. Bruno, thank you so much and thank you so much for in inviting me. Um, sometimes I'm not sure if actually people know what they do when they invite me to, and also they give me a podium, they give me an audience and a microphone and they sometimes allow me to turn off the light. Uh, I wasn't trying to turn off the light of the industry, even though I know some were to potentially do so, but I'm here actually to bring a little bit of facts. And I saw that yesterday there were possibly a need of actually giving you a little bit of insight of what happens inside the industry. So I will try to make this short, Bruno, but I can't promise you 10 minutes, but uh, I'll, I'll try to make it as short as I can. I'll make sure that I'll stop you at 10. Yes, yes, <laughs> more or less. So. I'm, I'm asking you the question, is there a threat? And I'll leave that up to you to decide when you see also some of the factories behind the industry. My name is Anders Martinsen. I represent the Norwegian drone industry. That means that we have all the drone operators. I mean, literally everyone that has an interest in the, in the drone industry behind us. If you are a service provider, if you're an integrator, if you have sensor capacity doing data analytics, well, even the ones that are, are working towards regulation and integration, they have an interest of working together as a team with us. I'm pretty boring. I don't sell anything. While I'm here, I'm here for safe integration and ensuring public acceptance for drones and to help you make the right decisions when you are actually researching and also educating your teams on what is happening with the industry in Norway, but also potentially globally. I'm going to bombard you with some of the facts of the industry and I'll be happy to share the slides with you later. So you don't need to take pictures of everything, but it will give you some valuable insight that I think will be relevant for the onward discussion. So we have about 2,450 companies that are members in our organization. Behind us, some 5,500 pilots. Many of them are out now flying. They are doing things for you. So make sure that electricity is on your power cord back home instead of using helicopter. I have a good intention with what they're doing. And when we recently also saw there was a discussion of whether to have a drone ban or not, well, 64% of the Norwegians were not supporting a ban. They say that even though we have drones in bad sight, they don't want a ban. And they even supported that the police and potentially also others should be using technology to mitigate and actually to stop potential people using drones for bad purposes. That is international, a number we haven't seen before. If some of you have heard about it, I'd like to hear from you because we don't know anybody else who have done that kind of survey. And we think that when 53% of Norwegians also support stopping it physically, it is a very good number to bring onward in the discussion. So, yes, safe integration, we represent the whole industry, and who wouldn't love to see more of uh, deer calves like this to be saved instead of having the farmer to have them uh, done uh, uh, in their, their um, grass in the spring. This is a good example of the safe integration where drones actually has a benefit, and it's hard not to see that. But we need to rewind a little bit to understand why drones in the Norwegian area and also Norway has such a huge potential. This is an example of flight radar. Of course, we have the airspace. So that's also why we see drones are trending so massively in our region. Of course, this doesn't represent 
all, absolute all flights. But it gives an indication of the volume, also indicated by Avin's slide, and sees that there is a potential. The question is, how can we stack this airspace safely together, ensuring that the right ones who are doing good are there, and the ones that we shouldn't have, they are not there, or we can control them. And if we need to, possibly at the end, also to stop them. So the industry has gone from possibly what some are defining as the far left to good ideas to during COVID, walking your dogs, to <coughs> what people see like this. But also what Bruno will tell you more about at the end, who's somebody who's like truly doing international operation. So we are a trusted industry that also we trust we can be giving access to airspace. And giving access to airspace is all what it's about. If we don't get access to airspace, we are out of business. I mean, we are flying, obviously. So drones fly, no airspace, no business. Very easy. So where are we moving? We're moving into this. So for those of you who are concerned now, you better start being concerned if you don't like what you see now, because this is a train that's been leaving the station for years. So an example on the far left, Florida power line, they are starting to implement 1,500 drone-in-a-box systems. That means system that has a remote operational center. There is no pilot standing on each drone monitoring. It's an operational center, which Bruno and them are already doing. It's already happening as we speak now. And the dock on the right-hand side, an example which you will see in Norway within the first six months, happening here. It is happening. So <clears throat> what is then the trend? Well, in Norway, we see high value, high acceptance. So when we see the trend for utility companies using drones instead of using helicopter, it's a high acceptance. It's a no-brainer. Everybody wants to have a green, emission-free, safer flight. It's better for everyone. It's more efficient. Collecting more data, more efficiently, more speed, less um, risk for the people involved. Well, it's a good idea as long as we know who is flying, where they are, what they're doing, getting the public acceptance. And do we do that? Yes, with this type of operations, we definitely do. And that also is why we've been asking the Norwegian survey company since 2015 to ask about the public's opinion in drones. What do they think of drones? So this is the survey going back to 2015. So, uh, no, sorry, start with uh, 16. And you can see here the trend. So. Last year, 68% in general has a very positive attitude towards drone, the general use. And then we see a decline this year, probably because what has happened in the recent months. So it's a slightly peak down. But they're not negative. They're a little bit reluctant. They're like, oh, oh, oh I want to see what is happening here. So it's like a reflex from the people saying that there is something that happened likely here. I'd like to see more of that. But just a month ago, the same number was 64%. So it's changed just recently. But having this high public acceptance towards drone is in the Nordics is high. It's higher possibly than any other country. We love Tesla. We love the transition moving into new technology. We understand that this type of operation has social benefit. And also we have the politicians standing behind it. We want the technology to succeed. But we also want to stop also the ones with bad intention. So if you're worried about drones, you are probably not among many because your neighbor probably has one already. Because 502,000 Norwegians already have a drone. 
They come in all forms and shapes. So even a drone like this is recognized as a drone. Weighs uh, 249 grams. It flies close to 40 minutes. Take it, share it around. And this is an example of what is also then trending and also makes then drone in the volume that we see here, scaling up so massively. So even though Bruno might represent saying that he has like 50 drones in his capacity. Yeah, yes. This one here <laughs> might be sold in the 100 or 1,000 below 250 gram. So that indicates that this is a higher volume industry. And this one lately, for those uh, who saw the football match between uh, Norway and some other people playing this round ball at Ullevål. <laughs> what was the, uh, the, what is it called, football? Yes. Uh, TV2, they broadcasted live streaming on precisely the drone that I'm sharing around you now. This is a drone used for professional. It's not only used as a, to a toy. So those of you are thinking, oh no, it's just a toy. No, it's not. It can be used and it has been used also for professional use. So bring along that number. Look at this one here. See the high score on the upper left. Public safety, people doing research, people who are then um, a real estate agency. You see the trend on the score? It's peaking. It's really high on the scores. Even though the lower part, energy company for shipping parts for power lines, it's trending. People are positive towards where there is a high social benefit of using drones. They would like to see drones in the use. But of course, if Bruno, this Bruno here, was asked if he would be positive towards police using drones for giving him a speed ticket on the way back if he was driving, he would not be that positive because it has a direct impact on him. But for the social benefit, for putting down a fire, he would be in general supposedly positive. So <clears throat> that also means that going back to what I mentioned yesterday, even the police are trending high and scoring high. Remember this survey was done in the 2020. After they did uh, what is called a DFR, drone as first responder, they were flying out of the rooftop in uh, the Posten, uh, downtown Oslo. So if they had a call, they could respond with a drone instead of sending possibly a car or somebody on foot. They sent a drone first on scene to monitor what is happening here. Yes, we need more resources on place on this spot here. And if something then is escalating, we, can, we know what is happening instead of actually uh, having the wrong assets on place. We sent out that survey after they have done it. And this is the response the Norwegians said at that time. What is now, we don't know, but it's possibly even higher because we see that type of operation is scoring and trending internationally even more than it did two years ago. So why is this relevant for us? Well, it has everything to do with integration and how we stack this airspace safely. But something happened. We went this autumn from integration to speculation. And everybody read the headlines. We saw what was happening, we saw the media, and suddenly the positive and all the glory that the Norwegian industry had, and all the good success stories about how good we were, how good the politicians had made the Norwegian industry supporting it, backing it. Suddenly we were international because there were sightings of possible drone operations 
or something in the air that we didn't know what was or if somebody was flying it, we couldn't be sure. But at that time, it gave us so much uncertainty that somebody uh, reported a sighting of something they believed to be a drone. Later on, it turned out to be that a number of observations were not drones. Some of them might have been drones. Some of them have certainly been drones. But the peak was definitely when even the Minister of Justice and the Prime Minister asked everybody to actually uh, report that if you see anything unnormal, they did. They even reported that they saw a drone who were uh, um, out flying uh, on a daily operation, stopped everyone. So what happened here is the trend. Suddenly, people had a very remote distance to it. So for many of you sitting in here, you would say that, oh yeah, I've been reading in the news, oh, oh yeah, there is an observation in the North Sea, yeah, it's a drone possibly, oh, what are we having for dinner today? Oh yeah, I heard the news. It doesn't affect you too much. But as soon as Lisa is not getting back to her kindergarten, picking up her kids, she's late for her birthday party, the flight is diverted, she doesn't need to get back in time, everything changed. Somebody had to do something. It changed completely the media landscape and it completely changed also the politics. Whoops. I think this is my timer. It is. So what happens is that we then had the discussion whether actually we needed to ban drones or not. Legal operation, even I was stopped when I was doing an interview with TV2. Two minutes after I was out flying, the police came. What are you doing? I had all my licenses, all my things were in order, but everything was stopped. The police were chasing drone operators who were legally doing operations, more or less like from north to south, east to west in Norway. They were supposed to stop and, and ask everybody who had a drone operation. And believe it, with 502,000 Norwegian, you can't do that. So the question is then, uh, really, are drones a problem? I'm not sure if it is. It might have a peak now, but when we see uh, of the reports coming from Avinor, but also the challenges that it has been reported, we see a peak now, but the trend is not negative. I'll give you a short version of this one here. I will conclude very shortly. On this one upper here, it shows what is called airspace intrusions. Is that right, Ivan? Yes. So the upper one shows that from 15 to 22, it gives you all type of aircraft who's using the airspace. If some of them are at the wrong place, it's reported here. The lower table chart shows drones only. So if you then look at this one here, from 15 up, the number at the right hand side indicates the reported observation where drones are, uh, are sighted where they shouldn't be in general. So the estimate here, <coughs> means also that the numbers from Avino is not taking con consideration from this season. But look, we had 27 in, in 2021, and the scores from uh, previous years is really low. So what happens this season is like it's a peak. Some of them are nef definitely not natural and shouldn't be there, but there is nothing uh, taking up like a sky uh, a rocket uh, for us here. So what I'm just saying is that based on the numbers of operators, which you see is, is peaking for about 20,000, and also in Denmark, 26,000, and in Sweden, 30,000, there is not like a really, really high, high, high level of uh, increased um, uh, alarm bells ringing at any airports.
So <coughs> if we then see last slide coming up here, so this is a well-known situation. Collaboration is the key. What we need to work on is collaboration. That's also why we are putting together a supportive team to address this topic at Forus coming up. We need to join forces to understand more of what is happening, but also the effect to securely ensure that this topic is covered, but also the industry who also are addressing this. So the end users who actually are facing this problem are the ones also to need part of challenging this. So we can sit here and discuss our belief and what we think is a good idea, but the ones who truly need to be part of this are the owners of critical infrastructure. They need to start talking to each other because they have the same challenge, all of them. The industry have a part of it. Avinu can do there, police can do there, Tilsyne can do there, but they need to be a part of the solution as well. So we believe in regulation, information, education. The control needs to be better from the police. And of course, at the end, detection and also then mitigation at the end. And as Jan Otto said, that should be the last resort. But there are so many steps prior to that that we need to do. And if we don't do that, we won't get access to airspace. And if nothing of this works, I mean, if nothing of this works, you can do as Ruatun is uh, saying, this might be the solution for you. Thank you. Thanks for this. That was 10 minutes, wasn't it? Yes, yes. well, it was mine. Okay, uh, thanks for this. And, uh, and even though uh, you, you brought new elements for the discussion, for sure, you also reinforced the idea of, of cooperation, which is something that has been voiced by others as well. Uh, we will now go to our last speaker, uh, uh, Christian Brunswick, who, who, is a, who is a researcher at uh, FFI, the Norwegian Defense Research Establishment. And um, as far as I seem to, to understand, you also have a, a background from industry not this industry but uh, but other industries and uh, and yeah. so that can be my uh, I'm an architect by education actually so I came into the defense uh, sector uh, as an entrepreneur and uh, yeah so my my uh, department at FFI is um, uh, responsible for rapid innovation so the floor yeah. is yours thank you thank you uh, good morning and thank you for having me here. Uh, I'll give you some information regarding my perspective on country US and uh, if you have any questions, feel free. Uh, to understand the Norwegian um, um, take on um, um, military R&D, uh, we have this triangular model, meaning that our institute is one part of it. Uh, we have to, um, to collaborate with the armed forces and definitely the industry as well. And my role in that is getting that triangular, sorry, <coughs> uh, to spin as fast as possible and to create what we call operational effect for the user. So I'm not a researcher in the sense that I create reports. My task is to make the Norwegian um, armed forces better. So that's what I'm measured by. So how do we look upon drones as a threat in the military? Uh, they are highly accessible, uh, they it, uh, are sometimes hard to detect, and when we detect them, we don't necessarily know what they're carrying. It's uh, hard to say if a um, drone is carrying a sensor or if it's weaponized. And uh, they are used to, in a military context, to um, get information or to cause some type of distortion and uh, to shut off airspace. Uh, or to impose um, direct loss of material or life. 
And as we all, uh, I think we all agree on, uh, drones are uh, not going away. They're probably going to increase. And I also clearly share all the benefits of drones, uh, but it also imposes a threat in terms of a military perspective on it. So what is important for me to understand is uh, I need to be aware of what are the values that I'm protecting. Why does a drone create a threat? Is it a safety issue or is it a security issue? Because this um, has something to do with what types of countermeasures that I'm willing to use and when I'm um, able to use them. And one of the consequences is that the threats of drone it is present in peacetime, in crisis and in war. And how do we treat them? differently in this and um, what do we do to make it safe and as available as possible in peacetime. Uh, for me it's important to talk about what we buy as a technology, what we call um, a capacity. I could buy sensors, I could put them into a network, I could have a, a software uh, making my command and control, taking the decision and I had some type of effectors uh, as we call um, the countermeasures. Uh, this is the part that I'm buying the technology, but this doesn't necessarily give me the capability because the capability is when I implement or um, implement some type of technology into an existing structure. This structure, it already contains personnel. It has uh, a technology, other technology and an infrastructure. And uh, this should cooperate in the multi-domain environment. Uh, when you try to take down a drone, uh, it will probably fall down somewhere. Do I know where it will fall down? What is the consequence for the people on the ground there? If I don't have that perspective uh, in me, it doesn't only need to be in there, it also will fall down. And I need to be able to maintain that uh, capability over a period of time. A lot of the sensor systems that we see are so um, labor-intensive to maintain over a period of time, so it doesn't give the operational effect it only creates uh, two people staring at an uh, empty screen over a period of time. That is not the operational effect that the military wants. So for me, uh, the capability, that is people, process and technology. And to understand that is uh, for me important to also inform uh, because uh, I think that doesn't necessarily only implement uh, the military. I think it's important for Avinor and all other players that has um, the need of a um, counter-US uh, system. So what we do believe is important is uh, through collaboration, uh, through hands-on uh, experience, through testing, uh, to understand the actual user, what is his need. I'm not uh, a guy in uniform, I just try to give them good advice. I have to understand what his daily life is, to understand what his... Uh, his uh, um, his daily life is and what he's uh, able and willing to do when he needs to do it. And uh, as I mentioned and would like to stress again, it is not only about the technology, it is how we make technology work together. And in my part, this is very kind of uh, uh, to get uh, uh, to get system of systems, to put um, to, uh, to kind of make uh, not only having a good idea, but to get the good idea out in the f and field it, as we say. Uh, I don't know if... Uh, did you put it somewhere here? Uh, I think that... Uh, uh, Veda, can you help? It's just a link. Yeah, I just wanted to show you an example of... Um, 
research, not mine, but uh, some colleagues of mine from uh, FFI. Uh, and what they've done is that they build a, what we call a demonstrator of a counter US system. Uh, sorry for the English speaking, but what it says in the end is that the, the, the task is quite easy. You need to take down a drone, uh, but to do it in real life is really hard. And uh, the reason why I wanted to show you this is because this is not something that I could buy. This is uh, a research project that we do to understand um, the, the problem and if necessarily um, industrialize it or make better requirements when we buy a system. And for me, this is not the tool, but it's one of the tools in the toolbox to, to discuss what a counter US system could be. Thank you. Okay, thanks a lot. Uh, I would now uh, like to invite the speakers to, to come and sit here. Um, and um, we can uh, go a little bit uh, deeper in some, in some of the issues. But uh, perhaps, uh, uh, Mats, I would, I would start with you. We'll follow the same order. Um, it, was, uh, it was really interesting when you, when you talked about um, how... Uh, Looking into the future, how having an integrated, uh, you know, uh, UTM can be part of of the solution. Uh, I think that a lot of people, even people that don't have a particular interest on drones, you know, contrary to all of us, uh, people that just read the news, most of what they hear is, uh, I would say, is about uh, drones that get too close to airports and that. Uh, uh, sometimes lead the, the air sp airspace uh, close to the airports to close and then uh, 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 flights get disrupted. My question is, uh, what is the process and what, what happens in practice? So uh, there are uh, detection, the detection systems that detect one drone that is in a place that it shouldn't, it shouldn't be. But how, you know, what happens next? Uh, uh, how do these things happen in, in the real world? Because I think that this is perhaps interesting for, for our, our, our audience. We talk a lot about cooperation between different institutions, you know, Avinor, uh, Civil Aviation Authority, police, etc. But how does this happen in practice? Yeah, the first thing to say is that we need um, integration between UTM and detection is that because now it's two separate systems, you will get um, alarms for every drones and the number will be high. There will be more and more drones. And uh, if you don't know who is the legal ones, you need to match the, the one you have authorized with the unauthorized so you can get a complete pictures then. So when you, you don't get alarms on, the, on every drone, uh, that will be the first one. And the next thing is, what was mentioned here, is that the, the detection system, UTM system, is just a part of it. The important thing is actually the procedures. What do you do when you get the um, notification from unauthorized drones? What is the next steps? How do we involve the police when do we close down the airport? What is the procedures? I think that is actually the most important part after we've gotten the integration, is the, um, the procedures and the responsibilities uh, from who, who's doing what. Uh, but so the, the, the drone is detected, you call the police, the police comes, uh, the, uh, the incident is investigated afterwards. How do things happen in practice? The, f the first thing we do is, of course, to maintain the safety for aviation, closure of airports, diversion of flights. That's the very first thing. Before, even before we call the police, that's the main task for the airport and the air traffic controllers. Then it's, um, you have to assess if it does it... Uh, is it a threat to 
even though it's unauthorized, but is it a threat to aviation? If not, maybe we just inform the police and no, no further action is needed at the moment. We just log it and use the statistics of it. But if it imposes a threat or you need to close down the airport for a long time, then we, of course, involve the police and actually hand over the task to them. They are the responsible, at least now, for doing the countermeasures for it. Uh, just a final question. Uh, do you see as likely or possible, at least, uh, that uh, with time, uh, Avinor or other uh, you know, operators in other, other parts of the world, or to put it differently, do you think that in the future uh, it is possible that Avinor would acquire any capacity to actually do something about the drones to mitigate them? Or is this something happening in other parts of the world uh, uh, already that could serve as a model? We know that it happens in other parts of the world, but they need to be changed in the legal... Um Legal area because you're not allowed to do it by now. But uh, if this continues to be a threat and uh, you get closure of airports all the time, maybe we need to do it because, as I said, we have 43 locations and we are there on site. The police will not be everywhere at all the time, so it might be a need for it. But I don't think it's necessary right now. But I think we should start looking into it to see what what should opens um, of critical infrastructure be allowed to do. Mm. Okay. Thanks so much. Uh, a question for you, Ivan. Um, uh, it was very, very interesting when you put, when you defined the challenge uh, as being something that has uh, a scale and a size dimension, um, um, and that you also said that uh, autonomy can be a part of the solution, given given the scale of, of what what we're talking about. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? In which in which ways do you do you think that this could be the case? Uh, well, I, I should be a bit careful because we are um, the CAA. We're a bit afraid of autonomy, as uh, as as had been described yesterday, uh, along with uh, with the, our European counterparts. Uh, I personally think it's, it's uh, an important part of making integration happen. Because today, Anders um, mentioned uh, it, it's a bit of a play with words. We don't integrate drones, we segregate them for smart, in a smart way. And our job is actually to make the buffers smaller and smaller. But we don't integrate drones, we separate them. And as Matt said, the first thing we need to do when we um, see drones in airspace is actually to, to figure out uh, what safety implications there are and see if we can, you know, um, address this in some way or, you know, uh, um, just evaluate and say that this area is safe, we can do um, manned aviation in this place. So if we have uh, autonomy built into drones and we can make manufacturers have autonomic or, or autonomy processes that actually makes the drones um, fly away from aircraft, you know, with, with electronic visibility, the systems that are visible today, I think that would be um, an excellent contribution to safety. So uh, um, we mentioned yesterday, I have a fairly new car. It starts braking when, I, when people or, or I think even pedestrians, but at least car, other cars block the way in front of me. It's not a choice. The car just um, sort of starts to brake. I, I, I would like to see the same thing in drones. And then... Uh, eventually, it would not, well, the, the clueless and the careless, that would not be an issue anymore because you have autonomy that, that, that um, can save your day. 
but of course, for the illegal actors, the, the people doing sabotage and stuff like that, we, I, that would not be a solution because we also discussed this yesterday. Um, 90% of the, the bright minds, you know, developing drones, they are into robustness for the, all the good reasons. But of course, the same minds can be, you know, used to, to you know, uh, just change that all around. And the fact that, or the, the very functions that are meant to improve safety can also jeopardize it and be used in a, in a harmful way. Okay, that was interesting. Thanks. Uh, are you writing down somewhere that is relevant <laughs> for you? Uh, Anash, uh, I would like to ask you if you could please uh, tell a little bit more about the, the state of the industry in Norway. So in our presentation, you highlighted a lot of the people that actually use the drones, uh, the, the end users, if you can put it like that. But I, I think it would be important for the audience to know what is, what is this? You don't need to come up with numbers, but what, what is the size? What are of the industry, the drone industry in Norway, the, the, the companies that develop drones, the, the products that are trending on the market? You know, if, if we see, uh, you know, upstream in the trends of, uh, you know, more companies coming up, uh, etc. So, uh, thank you. Uh, for, first, I'd just like to highlight the, the importance for, for two things, referring back to what you asked them. The first is a, is a really good collaboration between the CA in general and Avinor. But we must not forget also that SACO is another provider of the National Airspace Service provider and other airports, and they need also to be included in this discussion. Because this is a, this is a national problem. We, are, we, we have national drones flying in all airports. So, SACO, and uh, this goes for other com uh, countries as well. So, we need to address all players. So, uh, so we truly value the, the importance of the work we do here, but we need to share this uh, as a model for all teams need to be represented. So the cooperation in Norway is so valuable, we need to blueprint that. Coming back to your question is that the Norwegian market is potentially twice as big as the Danish, even though the number of professional drone, uh, drones uh, registered are possibly more or less the same. So in terms of professional users, we can say that the Norwegians has about 2,000 who are registered in the specific category, while the Dane has about 1,000. Um, it's anticipated that the revenue created for uh, for 2022 will be approximately, I don't quote me precisely on this, but I think it's about 3.3 billion um, um, in revenue uh, for this year. Um, and this will be shared by the Ministry of Transportation later on in their, their publication, who has the precise figure on this. But um, remember that the typical industry that you don't see today are the one that you possibly are most affected by. The transition is, is that we're moving for um, um, traditional uh, procurement where old-fashioned technology is being replaced by drones. Utility is one specific one. Where we see like three years ago, we changed contracts from only helicopter to helicopter and drones. Now it's only drones. We have several numbers of companies in Norway who are only doing drone inspection on the utility, the utility lines with only drones. That's unique in Europe. Um, many of you would be late for work in many occasions because drones are being not, uh, you would have been late for work because drones uh, haven't been used 
until now for, for instance, where there have been accidents because the police are using it for crime scene investigation because they can much quicker, like in 15 minutes instead of like uh, half a day, they could use it for, for an assessment uh, after an accident. So, I mean, it keeps the roads more open as the state authority would, would say is really good. So that's like two examples. Uh, but it also uh, has addressed some some concerns for us that we are now changing from a safety focus of drones to a security focus. And that trend is also interesting because it gives us a new number of services that will come out of this. My assessment is that we will see an industry who will say that um, there will be professionals providing services, for instance, to event. Uh, saying that, yes, we are providing you the event security and perimeter security also for airspace will be a part of what we do. We will provide you situational awareness with the drones and also ensuring our own flight uh, by sky control uh, to detect other possible aircrafts in the air. For instance, 250 grams drones that legally can fly to monitor your own operation. So that's a trend in the market. So it's not only now detection and mitigation, there will be services also coming from this industry. And that is a trend that's peaking for the last two years. Okay, thanks. Um, Christian, um, your your presentation was, was really interesting. Uh, you were addressing specifically the military domain, so it kind of it's different than than uh, the other presentations in a way. But of course, we we know that uh, in the f in the field of of countering the drone threat with the CUAS technology, um, in many contexts there is uh, there is uh, cooperation between the military and the police. You know some uh, knowledge, training, testing of technologies, etc. So. First, I would like to ask you if you please could could tell a little bit, uh, you know, of, of of what you know and what you, you want to reveal uh, about this this cooperation, the, the cooperation between military and the police in in uh, with CUAS technology and countering uh, drone technology. And then the second question is. Um, it's it's different, but it relates to something that you mentioned that was also I found very interesting when you said that there is. It's very different, you know, to to say we buy an equipment uh, that does not translate into uh, a capability because people, you know, processes, technology, everything needs to come together. And I think that this is part of the discussion when we think about, for example, the police or the military spending more money on counter-drone technology that does not necessarily translate automatically into more uh, capability. So I wonder if you could say a little bit more about this. I'll try. Uh, yeah. No, uh, first, uh, the first question is, uh, in Norway we talk about what we call total defense, which means that uh, we take, um, we are one country, one people with a society and the collaboration between uh, all the, um, the branches um, and obviously police and military is uh, is part of the foundation of how we defend our country. So that's uh, part of it. And obviously the, um, the collaboration between the police and the military also in, as you said, the um, incidents in terms of what you have. We call it Yemmel in Norwegian, like what you're allowed to do is obviously uh, an aspect. And, uh, uh, and again, um, Yes, a collaboration and sharing knowledge because this is, uh, as you said, it's complicated. <laughs> and uh, sharing uh, knowledge and having um, a good uh, dialogue when we're able to do that is uh, is obviously important. We try to to do that as much as possible. And uh, again, um, 
we're all, all or I'm obviously we're all part of the same society. So the benefits of drones, uh, obviously, and uh, I love to see more of it. So uh, the, what I do has nothing to do in in that sense. And uh, the second part is that is uh, by that's one of the reasons why we talk about this innovation model in terms of um, how to create a, a capability uh, because. Um, We've learned over the past that buying uh, equipment uh, on the specs uh, written on the desk doesn't necessarily give you the right um, um, capability. So by exposing um, uh, technology at the right environment over a period of time gives a whole different uh, knowledge base in terms of choosing the right things. and. Uh, one of the problems is um, obviously that uh, a drone is not supposed to be over, um, uh, for example, a military airbase or a, a restricted area. That means that you you need to have type of systems that are they are need to be integrated into to the structure. You need to pay as little attention to them as possible while they need to give you an alarm if there is a drone there. And if there is actually a threat, you have very little time to take the decision whether to act or not to act. And also uh, acting means a consequence, even just uh, like what we call non-connected jamming. That is uh, not without consequences. So to, to address as early as possible that uh, you need a certain type of expertise to do that. Uh, you need, uh, whether that is um, police or military or civilian with expertise, that is not part of the question. But for me, it is super important that uh, you need to address that expertise as soon as possible. And uh, the other thing is the legislation, which is called the Yemel Hus, uh, who is allowed to do what at what per period of times. But uh, for me, it's most important to, um, to say, to look at it, what we call holistically, uh, and uh, understand that it's, um, yeah, through all those good events that are going on and to sharing experience uh, when we can. And um, yeah, try to help each other. Mm. Thanks a lot. Uh, we have time to literally one question. And uh, and uh, Catherine was the, was the first one registering. Okay, maybe two questions, but it needs to be quick and we really need to, to end at 10. Presentation. It was. Uh, uh, I was curious uh, uh, to hear about this uh, more and more positive attitude towards drones, and I can actually confirm that also from the art world that artists uh, sort of experiment with civilian drones, not always in this kind of critique of militarism. But I wanted to ask you something, Axel, about the way you argue. You sort of say, yeah, uh, just because so many people um, about drones are, are happy. Yeah, uh, uh, so many people are positive, so that's why we are doing it. But I mean, uh, just it's still just because there are many doesn't mean it's good, right? I mean, just because there are many people who want something, driving cars, eating meat, uh, doing all kinds of things, doesn't mean it's a good thing. So I was wondering if you could maybe um, explain that. And also, uh, what was your target group? Where does the statistics come from? I would be just curious about that. I will be very quick as well. My name is Susanna Sabo from Upstream Online. It's an energy publication, and I wouldn't like to represent the negative side of the negative approach towards drones, but uh, I keep receiving the questions about the threat towards critical installations, and that can cause major problem even for Norway and Europe as well. So I would address the question to Christian Brunswick, and you mentioned the response time is very critical, and military and police have the authority to do something about these unidentified drones. So it's clear drones will be here to stay, but what can we 
what can be done about them to actually keep those critical infrastructures safe or at least uh, stop unidentified drones to gather intelligence about those uh, infrastructures? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't um, mean to yeah, challenge you. Can, you can answer this one and then everyone can chip in on, on, on answering uh, Catherine's uh, question, particularly Anders. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll get started. So a quick question is that um, since 2016 we started monitoring the trend because we wanted to learn more about it, because we wanted to see what was driving the industry, but also what would also drive the political decision. And the, the numbers relates back three years prior to the first Norwegian drone strategy. So we also wanted to see how that would influence also the politicians' use of the airspace and the regulatory framework. So this for us has been in a way of monitoring also the politicians, how they are deciding on using the airspace, how the CAA can use the regulatory framework according to our harmonization in Europe, but also then how it's trending in the public. So for us, these are showing uh, this. And we see that this also then correlates to how the industry then also is pushing technology and using, taking advantage of that airspace which has been available in Norway. So we are just exemplifying this, saying that we believe that these are some of the driving factors that the numbers are so high in Norway and pushing then the numbers of how, why actually Norwegians are, are showing such an interest of using drones in general. That's how we uh, use the numbers and how we see it based on then the, the numbers from uh, Opinion. I'd be happy to share the inside of the statistics later if you want that. And uh, Ivan wanted to, to add something yeah. on, on this as well. I, um, I like sharing the stage with Anders. We agree on a lot of stuff and we disagree on some things and Anders always has this magic uh, gift to provoke me. Uh, and, uh, and I like it because th that makes me better and I think ma it makes Anders better. And of course, we don't regulate based on what the majority of the public thinks about stuff. So if we were to do that, I think we would have a proper chaos. And also one thing he mentioned was that someone had to do something. Well, we did what we always do, we, but we intensified the team effort and the cooperation. And in the end, we discussed, have, had good discussions, and we ended up with doing nothing. And I think that was the goal maybe um, by some people flying drones to create insecurity, um, and uh, they did not succeed. I'm happy and I'm proud about uh, uh, over that team effort. The I, next time, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I know we agree. But on the it. thing here is that Very if the politicians hadn't been positive, if you hadn't had a p support of the public to use the drones, it would have been harder for everybody. If the society was against it, it was there a general public opinion that no. We don't accept the drones. We think it's violating privacy. The politicians were not supporting it. It would have been much harder for everyone, even though with a harmonized regulation in Europe, to actually get drones in the air. That's my point. So I think that everything, it's, it's a lot of layers backing things up. And of course, I fully support you. We don't regulate it because people like it. And oh yeah, then of course we do it. Yeah. I, I support that. And just one more thing, because we, you, mentioned, yeah, we, you mentioned uh, um, militarization of police yesterday. Uh, it's not militarization of society, but we work together as multimentary in the total defense setting. So, and that's benefit to society. That's the society we want. Uh, the military is not for their own sake. It's not, they don't like shooting people. You know, it's to have a uh, safety and a socially beneficial system of services. Thank you. Okay. 
a few seconds to yeah. secure uh, critical uh, infrastructure yeah. well, uh, <laughs> offshore. As, as mentioned was before, uh, careless, uh, clueless and criminals. So uh, to understand that um, if you impose a threat on uh, or actually pose violence or something, that is a willed act. It's something that you choose to do. And to help out um, uh, the part of collecting, knowing uh, what is, if it's a drone there or not a drone there, and to uh, take as many as the careless and clueless out of the, the picture. That makes it way easier. So I think it's important to, um, to, um, to focus on the collecting part and um, uh, reducing the problem. Um, and even in times of crisis, when this is, comes up and stuff like that, I think it's important to uh, be systematic uh, and have a one uh, proper goal. So don't uh, act and uh, say that, oh, this is, uh, um, we have to do it properly. Thank okay, uh, there is more requests for answers, etc. But we really have to finish. We are over time, and it's very important for us at Prio that, uh, particularly, the breakfast seminars they end when they are supposed to end, because that you know invites people to come again, knowing that they can you know safely program their their work day afterwards. Um, I think that this was very good. Uh, thanks to the questions, but uh, thanks a lot for the participants. I hope that we move the discussion forward a little bit in the general program of the conference I think that it's really fantastic that we have the opportunity you know to not just to discuss things academically but engage with people that work with this on um, on an everyday basis and so please join me in uh, thanking our speakers today.